And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything's potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he sent me that. Welcome to. So tell me why you mad even. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan. And I am not joined by the kid, the god, the legend, because he is sick. So instead, we turn to the other Celtics beat reporter from the Athletic, the person who first in this world who was crazy enough to decide to co-host a podcast with Jam Packard. That's right. Jared Weiss from the Athletic. Jared Thank you for filling in for DJ King. How are you doing this evening? It's I'm good. It's funny. I fought it with you back when your name was Sam. I never even I never even thought why not just make it the rating Jays when it's just I'm you're you're pre jam. I'm pre jam. I mean, our our show was a slam dunk. Let's not get it wrong. Like there was plenty of jamming going on, but yeah, uh, it was uh, it was it was a classic. And what, what was it called before? Was it the We Love Anthony Davis pod before I came on? Uh, well, at first iteration, it was called the We Hate Dwayne Wade pod. But then those Beautiful. fat cats down at corporate said we couldn't have a name like that. So then it was We Love <laughs> Anthony Davis. And then I got real creative and just called it the WEEI Celtics podcast because I thought the SEO on that would go through the roof. It's funny. I, I didn't think about it at the time, but having a We Hate a Player name for a podcast <laughs> is absolutely batshit insane. And I can't believe that a that a major corporate radio station lets you get away with that for so long. I mean, I can't believe they let me release content under their umbrella, but they, <laughs> they quickly put the kibosh down on the We Hate Dwayne Wade podcast. Um, hey, we put, some, we put some good stuff together. I like I like that show. Oh, yeah. We, we, we were the first ones to introduce wackiness into the, the Celtics podcast sphere. I think it was severely lacking. And so we were, well, someone called us pioneers in that regard. I mean, I've always wanted to be called a pioneer, so if that's how it has to happen, then I'll take it. We are here uh, on, a, on a somber note, if you are a Celtics fan, which I uh, self-identify as, because uh, we got the news on Monday morning that Robert Williams has torn a piece of ligament in his left knee and will be out and will require surgery. And it could not have come at a worse time because... I've been really trying to kind of to caution myself from getting too excited about this Celtics team, about like raising the expectations so much. But after they really just like thoroughly beat up the Minnesota Timberwolves, I started I, I was coming down with the first few symptoms of championship fever. And without Time Lord, <laughs> I just I don't want to say they have no chance, but I feel like the 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 chances are severely reduced. I mean, what is what is this the loss of Robert Williams going to do to like impact this Celtics team? Yeah, I mean, even if he comes back, he's probably not going to be close to one hundred percent. It's not going to have the same explosiveness or just the same level of energy. And you know, those are the things that really made him so valuable. It's really as much as his incredible leaping is and all the crazy plays he makes. It's honestly, it's the energy and intensity that he plays with. He just plays at such a high speed, and the team has kind of figured out how to control everything around that. And you, you don't have that. It, it really takes away from the potency that this team has, because this team, it's, it's like such a really nicely balanced and they really like, well, they execute really well and they just don't have a ton of like that spark kind of stuff. And he really gives them that. So it, it would be a miracle if they can pull something off. But I guess the good news is there's no team in the Eastern conference that like stands out to you as a, like an obvious favorite. They certainly were, playing that way recently, but like Milwaukee, who I think most people around the league thinks is the favorite in the East. They haven't been quite at the same level this year, although now they got Brooke Lopez back. And as we're talking, Philly's beating them. 
and Philly is kind of still figuring themselves out. And obviously, like Philly, they depleted their depth. Like I shouldn't say depleted their depth; they just traded Curry. But like their depth isn't phenomenal around their course, the you know, other core starters. So, you know, and then Miami is, you know, you never you never know with Miami, but they certainly are scary. So anything could happen in like Brooklyn, obviously who knows with Brooklyn, but the East is not, it's not like the West where it's like, you're going to face Phoenix at a certain point. And Phoenix is obviously the best team in the NBA. Like there, there is still a chance for them. It's just like, it's really slim without time Lord being like 85 to 90% healthy. Yeah. Their, their ceiling is much lower and their margin for error. just got that much smaller. I still think, they can win a series in the first round. And then, you know, like who really knows against kind of the, that second round against some of the top teams in the East. I still think they have a chance because I like as, as good as Robert Williams is on defense and as um, dynamic of a player he is, I do think they have some pretty decent options to fill in for him. And I don't know necessarily that the defense is going to, I mean, obviously, it's going to take a slip because they were putting up just like absolutely ridiculous defensive numbers. I don't know if they're going to beat every team by 20, but like we've talked about how good their defense is and Havard Robert Williams, not kind of guard the center, but kind of play that roving weak side guy. Um, a lot of emphasis has been put on kind of the how good the Celtics have been at the point of attack. And I just think that like it gives the players like Marcus Smart, Derek White, um, Jalen Brown, just like so much more comfort in their ability to play aggressive point of attack defense. When you know, like if you get beat, you kind of have Robert Williams there to kind of clean up all of your mistakes. And I just, I think like Al Horford and Grant Williams can come in and still kind of play a similar switching defense, which uh, will be effective, but it's just not going to be the slam dunk um, moment. It's a defense, so it's probably it should never be a slam dunk. But it's it's not going to be the 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 kind of just absolute dominant force that it was with Robert Williams just kind of patrolling the weak side center field area. Yeah, th- there will be more slam dunks. I, I think the important thing is, amazingly, you know, I remember when the Tice trade happened. The message coming out of Boston, uh, out of the front office, was uh, he will provide valuable depth in the case of an injury to one of the bigs. And I thought that was a pretty strong oversell. It turned out to be very, uh, very fortuitous or uh, uh, prescient or whatever the correct word that I don't know the definition of so that says that they were t- they could see into the future. But um, they like, like Tice is kind of like a less potent version of Time Lord in the way that he functions. Uh, he you know he can switch decently. He's good with his you know rotating you know position rotating and making those reads stuff like that. And he is actually a decent athlete. Like he does get up there. He just he gets plowed through pretty easily. Like we saw Siaka last night, just kind of barreling through him throughout the night. Um, and he just doesn't quite have the length to be as impactful as Rob, but he is, I think he's good enough, but they're not, it's not like a huge drop off. And then Horford's defense has been really good all year and really like phenomenal in the last couple months. So you could move him to the five. You could start Grant Williams at the four, put Grant Williams up in the pick and roll and have Horford be the roamer. Or you could honestly, one thing I think would be interesting is, if they decide to keep Horford up at the point of attack as the pick and roll guy, and then have Jason Tatum be the rotating low man. Cause Tatum is someone who gets up there and he gets some really nice blocks recovering him from the weak side. It just like Tatum doesn't have the discipline to do it over and over and over again, the way that the bigs do. So I think it's more likely that you get Grant up at the four, the way Horford is now, and then have Horford step in the Rob's role. And then defensively, I, I don't think it's that much of a drop off. It definitely is, but like, it's not, it's not a significant drop off. No, I, I think they're still going to be a very effective defensive team just because this means more minutes for Grant Williams and probably more minutes for Derek White. I, I do imagine them using kind of a smaller lineup more often. Um, and Tice, as you mentioned, I call him Danny Two Blocks for a reason. He has experience. Uh, he went to like he was the starting center on a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like he's proven himself to be a pretty, pretty solid defender. Um, it's just whether or not you can get away with playing kind of a too big lineup with Daniel Tyson, whether or not the offense will suffer. I think actually they'll miss time Lord the most on the offensive end, just because there's no one who can provide the kind of the vertical spacing that he can. I know Tice can catch some lobs, but there's been so many times over the past, I would say three to four weeks where 
either possessions have broken down and it's just kind of like throw it to Time Lord or um, even just the kind of the big to big passing from uh, Al Horford to Robert Williams, uh, the bailout, just end the possession. Like, let's just throw it up to Rob Williams. It just doesn't feel like uh, they're going to have that kind of gravity of keeping the big um, just a little bit, uh, a little bit more attached to uh, Williams than they would be to Tice. And I think that's just going to make things a little bit harder for guys on the Celtics like Tatum, like Brown, like smart driving into the paint. I I think what, what Rob actually, what they're going to miss with him the most, cause obviously the lobs are great is offensive glass. Like he's, he's been really good at swinging oh, yeah. into Cause the thing they're not that good of a three point shooting team. They're not that good of a finishing team. You know, they have like two really, really good scores at the rim. Then everybody else I think is kind of below average scoring at the rim. And Rob cleans up so much with tip-ins coming in late to grab an offensive rebound and then they kick it back out or also just like drop off plays where if a guy doesn't have a look at the rim, he'll drop it off to Rob and Rob is so quick getting the ball up there. He does that in the way that Horford's like, okay with and Tice doesn't really do so much. So I think that's probably the way that it really hurts offensively because you're getting a couple alley-oops a game max, but I feel like you're getting six, seven of those kind of plays in most nights. Yeah, as you mentioned that, you mentioned like tipping, but there's like how many times is it Jason Tatum goes to the rim, engages the kind of rim protector, misses the layup, but then it's just an easy putback for Robert Williams because he's just always hovering around the rim. I just don't know if Tice does that. Um, and it, like, I guess like what do you think this, does to the Celtics closing lineup. Do you think they, we see them go small with kind of Horford at the five and then kind of the four wing players around it? Or do you think this is a, the Grant Williams show or is it possibly both? I love asking questions and then presenting two options and then saying that it's both. It's one of my favorite things to do to Jay King because Jay King hates taking a take uh, or a stance on any opinion. Okay. I mean, I think Derek White's probably going to close most of the time and Horford will be at the five, but yeah, there'll be some Grant at the four moments. There weren't, there, I don't think there's going to be that many Grant at the five moments because Grant's a better shooter than Horford, but Horford shoots more from the middle and like Horford's better as a passer, post player, um, DHO guy, defender. Like he's better, but Grant's been really good as a shooter, obviously. And he's made a lot of strides as a passer and a defender. So I, I still think Horford is ahead of him in the pecking order for that one big, but they're, I think they're better off with Derek White most of the time. There's certainly going to be some nights where they just want more shooting out there where everybody's a little bit cold and they need, obviously, Grant to just be a reliable spot-up guy. But I think in the, in, in, in the playoffs, the fact that Grant still isn't that comfortable hand, handling the ball, like he's improved, but it's not quite there, it's just defense is just it's so much insanely harder in uh, in the playoffs and having Derek White being able to kind of control the ball and make those reads and just not turn it over, I think is going to make him more valuable than Grant. Yeah, and we've seen his offense, uh, at least his shot, come on. I was just trying to Google Derek White, but I ended up Googling Derek Comedy. Um, so <laughs> shout out to them. Um uh, looking at basketball reference, but Derek White has shot definitely struggled uh, early on with the Celtics. You've seen him knock down a bit more threes recently, but that is so important for him because I feel like he's just going to get like left wide open. Uh, well, him and Marcus Smart, they're just going to be invited to shoot, as I feel like happens anytime the, the Celtics are in the playoffs. They just basically sell out entirely on Jason Tatum and make him right, make the right pass. And I do think White is a better offensive option right now than Grant. Just as you said, as a playmaker, as a guy who can catch uh, and drive a closeout or catch and just immediately attack the basket. We saw Grant dribble it off his foot a few times in that Toronto game, which we'll we'll have to cover more as we get further on in the episode, because that was just a absolutely wild basketball game. But yeah, we have I think seen I think Derek White airballing a layup at the, at the end of the game. I mean, that, that game was absolutely an absolute shit show. Yeah, I mean, not the best moment for uh, the segment where I'm talking about Derek White's in- increased <laughs> offensive uh, potency, but he has knocked down some multiple three-point shots in his last three games, which I just think is going to be a huge, huge thing for the Celtics. Um, I guess f- from your perspective, what's this like? Uh, I guess we don't know exactly how they're going to react and play without Robert Williams, but... What's the biggest concern for you, uh, like 
for the Celtics heading into the playoffs? Um, what's the what's going to be the the reason why they they might struggle? Uh, I, I think it's on offense. I, I, you know, I think it's just like Tatum's been in this amazing groove, and it'll probably hold up. And, I, and Brett Brown's been in a good group too. It'll probably hold up, but if those guys aren't playing out of their minds and this team is maybe not getting out of the first round. I assume they are, but like maybe not depending on the matchup. So I think it's the concern is mostly drop off from those guys and smart in a more featured role really struggled in Toronto, tons of turnovers had trouble finishing. And I mean, if, if the Jays are there, then he's not, it's probably that stuff's probably not going to be happening, but it definitely was like a little bit concerning. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I think the rest of this team, it's like, yeah, we already went over the Rob stuff. So at this point, it's like just the Jays aren't going to dominate the same way and that like Grant isn't going to shoot as well and Pritchard isn't going to shoot as well. Because like if Pritchard's not hitting his shots, then you can't really play him. Uh, and then if you can't really play him, then like who do you go to at this point in, in the rotation? Like there's not really any other perimeter player that you'd want to play. Well, we let's let's dive into that Toronto game because we did see some um, Aaron Neesmith shot out of a cannon, complete chaos moments in that Toronto game. You mentioned Marcus Smart struggled. I don't know how much we can take from a game that they're down four starters and Marcus Smart is just going, yes, this is my team. This is my <laughs> game. Um, frankly, that was one of the more ridiculous and more fun basketball games I've watched the Celtics play recently. Like it's, it's objectively very fun to watch them beat teams by 20, but like a real close barn burner in Toronto is not what I was expecting. Uh, a game where Luke Cornett's making just big gazelle. No, I was going to call him a gazelle, but gazelles have more bounce than Luke Cornett does. He's more of a Clydesdale, but he was making big plays. Sam Hauser <laughs> was knocking down shots. It was absolutely a wild game where it's just, just inviting the Toronto Raptors to, take three pointers. And then like Thad young who, you know what? I've always been a Thad young fan, but I hand up. I forgot that he was on the, the Toronto Raptors until that game started going just a, a wild night in Toronto. Um, unfortunate that they had all those turnovers when they were up four with 30 seconds left, but second night of a back-to-back when you don't have four of your starters, it's kind of tough to expect them to win. Yeah. I mean, I, it- Credit to them. The fact that it went to overtime is like remarkable, especially with Siakam just torching the crap out of them. And that, that's actually, you know, I think another big thing is that they they struggled so much to defend Siakam. And Siakam, as good as he is, like Giannis is a lot more dangerous than that. And, you know, Joel Embiid is a lot more dangerous than that. So you definitely have concern of like, how can they stop a super physical, big, you know, star coming through the lane without Rob helping them to clean it up? Like, that's obviously a concern. But that, um, that's the big concern is because normally you would throw Horford on that person and then you would have Rob in that kind of cleanup role. Exactly. And now it's like you can still throw Horford on that um, Giannis or Embiid or Siakam types. But it, like as you mentioned, is it Jason Tatum coming over to kind of kind of provide that assistance there? Are the rotations going to be as as potent or as like on point without having kind of that safety valve in Rob? Um I think that's one of the big questions, but yeah, Daniel Tice had no match. <laughs> he could not do yeah, anything for uh, Pascal Siakam. You know, and actually another thing I forgot I should have said when we were talking about the offense concerns is Derek White has been really good in doing all the glue stuff, but his his finishing, I feel like, has been worse. Not only is the shooting been bad, but like he's not hitting his floater, getting to his floater reliably. He he looks like he's having trouble when he's under like real duress and he's made some weird turnovers. And it just like he hasn't been quite as reliable of an offensive, uh, I guess, like as a score uh, as, as you would hope for. And I'm, I'm just worried about how that's going to look in the playoffs. Yeah. I think there's like maybe some hope that he's not like he's catching the ball after like getting the other teams in rotation or like going four on three. And he doesn't necessarily have to be finishing in traffic, which let me tell you, did not work down the stretch against the Raptors. I think it was like four <laughs> possessions in a row where him and Smart just like dribbled into Gary Trent Jr.'s uh, chest and then Pascal Siakam's arms. Um, and I think if the Celtics playoff success comes down to 
Derek White and Marcus Smart winning one-on-one battles and or and then beating multiple guys at the rim, then yeah, I think they're they're absolutely screwed. But if they can be kind of safety valve kind of guys, the ball swings to them and they knock down an open three or kind of attack and pass and get the other team in rotation, which I think they're plenty capable of doing, then I think the Celtics are a better recipe for success. You mentioned like if Payne Pritchard's not hitting shots, then it's kind of tough to play him. Looking at his stat line right now, he's been absolutely on fire recently, but he was two for nine from three last night in Toronto, and he did not play down the stretch. We saw Aaron Neesmith. I think Ime said after the game that Neesmith was the best kind of option they had on Siakam, which just goes to show you kind of what the depth situation was heading into last night. I thought Neesmith did an okay job in that he is a crazy fireball of uh, energy and chaos, and like he'll he'll always provide that. Uh, and he actually knocked down some two threes, a huge three towards the end to actually put them up by four. I have no idea what to expect from Aaron Neesmith in the final eight games of the season. Or like, are you putting Aaron Neesmith in in an important playoff game? I just don't like. I have no idea. I do like his new haircut, uh, but <laughs> I, beyond that, I'm not really sure what to make of him. <clears throat> Well, we know just based on history that Neesmith is going to come into a game at some point to try to like change the tempo of a series. And he's either going to be the greatest player in NBA history, like a Leon Poe or Kelly Olynyk, or he's going to be a complete disaster. I mean, that, that happens every single year. So, and he definitely seems like he's the guy, unless Sam Hauser is going to get his chance after he had a really nice shooting night. Um, but I mean, Neesmith is, it's funny. We were talking about how Rob has like that extra spark of energy that's crash. Uh, it's it's not going to be at least Rob has figured out how to make that kind of like controlled. Uh, crash is like a nuclear isotope basically out there, and maybe the team will just kind of like need some of that because he is a quick defender. And if they want to switch, like he's not, he doesn't have like the technical skill of the reads yet to like really really handle being like off ball in the switching scheme. But you can put him up front like they did against Siakam, and he can at least stay in front of the guy. So there definitely are some uses for him. And he is like the most volatile shooter with both like highest potential to be a sniper or going to be a complete disaster that the team has. So if you want to gamble, like he's the dude to gamble with. And those gambles do happen throughout a playoff series. Yeah. And it could be just like the type of energy spark that the, the team needs. I think he's actually like proven that he's like, has a little bit more skill as like, he's not just a shooter. Yeah. Like he's pretty athletic dude and uses all of that energy and can get to the rim. It's just he does it with such explosive force that you just – it's never really in control. But I thought he showed some moments of – there was that one play he came off the, the wide pin down and just, like, made a really nice play to get to the basket. I do think he has a little bit more in his offensive bag that he's been able to show. Uh, it's just what happens over the, the kind of next eight games is he gets enough minutes to kind of earn Ime's trust heading into the playoffs. I think that's another interesting thing. During this stretch run, Ime has basically played eight guys, occasionally nine guys with Daniel Tice. He's going to have to trust someone else. As much as I like Malik Fitz uh, and his bench celebrations, I don't know if him, Broderick Thomas, Jawan Morgan, or Nick Stauskas are really going to hit the floor. And so does e, does does Naismith emerge as like that ninth guy? Does Ime really trust him to put him into a playoff game or – is it just like we're going to be playing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for 40 minutes? Like, who, what are you talking about? Ninth guy in a rotation? Yeah, like, that's absurd. You're not, you're not going to get a ninth guy. It's like a, a lot of the time. I was looking back at last year's playoffs, and a lot of the time it was like a seven and a half man rotation, really. Um, but yeah, teams are not going to go into the ninth guy unless there's an injury or, or a foul trouble. Uh, Tatum and Brown are going to play 40, 42 minutes every single night. And the like Rob is the one that got hurt. It wasn't like they lost a wing or a perimeter guy. So like I don't I don't see them adding in Nismith to the rotation because they need more wing guys. Like they he already there there's no there's no change to the rotation that necessitates it. Um I think it's more that if they like if the defense is doubling and you can find ways to keep him open where he can either get like a rhythm open jumper or he can use his athleticism to drive against a closeout and try to finish over everyone. Like that's, that's when he makes sense, especially if it's a situation where you need a big wing defender for switching. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens over these last eight games. I think the wild thing, 
I don't know if this benefits the Celtics. I don't know if this is my um, fan optimism kicking in. But right now, with that loss, they fell back to fourth place. Um, you would think they, they might take a step back uh, with losing Robert Williams. Maybe they put more of an emphasis on getting guys like uh, Tatum and Brown rest, especially getting Al Horford some more rest uh, before the end of the season. But the fact that they might fall to three and the three seed or the four seed, I think is probably beneficial to them because right now it looks like they're uh, that would make it so they play either the um, the Bulls, the Cavs, or the Raptors, who I feel like even with missing Robert Williams, they should be heavily favorited. Uh, favorited? Favorited? Favorite? Favored? Favored! Thank you! Derek favored. Uh, favored against those teams. And so... And possibly avoiding the Brooklyn Nets. I think it's just going to be a very interesting game on Wednesday night against the Miami Heat, who, you know, having their own struggles of their own, Eric Spolstra, uh, throwing clipboards and stuff, which is fantastic. Um, As a bona fide hater of Heat culture, I love to see that. (laughs) But I think it's going to be an interesting test because they still got games against the Heat, uh, still got another game against Milwaukee, another game against the Bulls. how they match up without Robert Williams. And uh, I think it's curious to see like whether or not they put more of an emphasis on getting guys rest and being fully healthy uh, heading into the playoffs. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to play proceeding. Um, they, if they needed a wake up call, they got one. Um, you got, you got to keep the seat healthy. Yeah, Cause at this point you're just playing for, home court advantage in the later rounds when they, they really should just be concerned about getting out of the first round right now. And if they, you know, if they lose another rotation guy, like the team is completely done for, I think. So at this point, just do whatever you can to maximize uh, resting. I don't think they have, like, they don't need to rest anybody for the Miami game. Um, You know, maybe one of these games over the weekend and probably that Milwaukee game, ironically, they're probably gonna have to rest somebody because that's the second night of a back-to-back. Um, but yeah, there's not, there, there's like, there's, I don't think there's any reason to worry about seating at this point. You're going to have home court advantage in the first round. Yeah. It's kind of wild that they, they still, I thought they had one more back to back. I guess they are all done with back to backs, but yeah, that second night of the, they play Chicago, then Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee in the second last game of the season probably should be resting at that point. I think, the playing game's just absolutely wild that there's some teams going to have to play Brooklyn and get rewarded um, for the first, for getting the first and second seed in the East. But um, I'm generally for chaos, but in this case, it just doesn't seem like much of a reward. I am an advocate for the first three teams should be able to pick who they want to play in the first round um, because that would create a lot of uh, just fun storylines of like, Oh my God, they picked us revenge the amount of revenge storylines that would come after a team picked a team to play in the first round would be fantastic yeah and you you want that because you know divisions are kind of fading in relevance and rivalries are kind of harder to establish they kind of are more short-lived this gives you a new way to just like inject more juice into the rivalries and try to you know create just like more situations over a year to year basis of rivalry instead of it just being the teams that are good now are just mad at each other and what, because they want to beat each other. So you can create a lot more organic rivalry through that. So I'm definitely on board with that. I just want beef. I just want, uh, um, like, I think it's great television. You get the entire team together and they announce on live television who they're playing, uh, for the playoffs. And then you get, like a live reaction, uh, like NCA March Madness style uh, of the yeah. other the team that get picked. Then you, you have them immediately step up and kind of thing. Yes, exactly. It would be it would be absolutely great television. And then there's so like if the lower seed wins, they're like you shouldn't have picked us. It would be uh, wonderful, wonderful television. But you know what? The NBA is always innovating. They, this is only the second year uh, of the play-in tournament, so maybe uh, that'll be something that they they get to in the future. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Right now, we're going to pivot to the fine folks out there in radio lands. Uh, we are in a live athletic live room, so you guys listening to us live, the athletic subscribers can get a chance to join us here on stage as um, experienced theater kids would uh, know it's uh, referred to as. I want to hear your thoughts about where you think this Celtics team can go uh, without Robert Williams, how have your expectations changed, plus any questions you have for Jared and I. Um just please raise your hand. We'll try to get you on stage. We'll start off first with Jack F. Jack, welcome to Anything hey, is Potable. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. It's really cool to be uh, to be here on The Athletic with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, like as someone who really enjoys watching the Celtics team, I really love Robert Williams. He's one of my one of my players. I have him on. He's on the all all free team. I, I have certain guys that I kind of like as role players and who I think can take on expanded roles. And Rob Williams is one of those guys. A year or two years ago, who was just he does everything that puts players on my radar from high motor, um, athleticism, those types of things. So really sad to see him go down. I was and you know he just fit perfectly right now on this team. And uh, something about Rob, and I want to know kind of where, what you guys feel about this in terms of his value going forward to the Celtics. Uh, I know I, I don't know if uh, I'm trying to think about his contract situation over the next couple of years, but it's probably it's probably coming up in the next year or two. Um, uh, he actually he, signed an extension. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted he signed an extension yeah, sure. last summer, so he has a he, uh, after this year a four year, fifty four oh, million dollar deal. What so a he, steal! One, one of Brad Stevens' better better moves as a uh, an executive. So he he locked in Rob. I'm actually happy for Rob who was able to get his, get his big pay raise before uh, experiencing an injury like that. But he did, is locked up for the next four years after this. Oh wow, that's a great move. And you know, somebody who you know likes him liked him from before he actually got popular this year. You know, I'm really happy that he saw the talent as well. So that's really great for you guys. Um, my question is like this: You guys brought up Neesmith, who I think is one of your more high volatility players. So definitely throwing him more in the mix is going to be very, very relevant. Who can? Is there anybody on this? Do you think that they try to replace Williams with? You know, do they just play Tyson Horford more? And that's sort of, you know, they just try to get by with Tatum and Brown. I just don't see that working. I think that if they need, if they're going to try to win without Williams, uh, they're going to have to play a much smaller, more, more, almost, they almost kind of have to go the other way on what they've been doing, where I feel like they have to play as many of the young guys as possible, maybe even go super small and try to use as much guard play with, you know, White, Smart, and Neesmith and Pritchard and just try to outscore teams and win with perimeter defense now that Williams is gone I, I just don't see a way that they could make a trip to the conference finals playing Horford and Tice big minutes I just don't think they do a lot of let's call it like alpha sort of things like Williams gives you things that other guys don't he'll get a couple offensive rebounds you won't get he'll block a few shots guys like Horford and Tice they kind of hit shots that anybody else can hit you do get a little benefit of kind of some pick and pop game but I don't think that they offer enough upside so do you think that we're going to see some really really small lineups going forward or are they going to try to play kind of the traditional five, you know, with Tyson Horford and try to win kind of that way. I just don't, I just don't think that that way can work against the teams in the East. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I don't think they're going to change unless their hand is forced to their, their execution has been great for a few months now. They're really well coached. Uh, I mean, Tyson, we've seen a few blips with like switch communication and, and timing on closeouts and stuff like that. So like he's bought, He's definitely behind the curve a little bit because he's barely played since he got traded. Uh, and I mean, hey, we saw how long it took everybody to learn the defensive scheme. It was a disaster at the beginning of the year. So 
I, I think Tice, Tice has a learning curve to catch up. Maybe he catches up by the second round to be like really good or as good as he was the first time he was there. But he replaces Rob Williams kind of fine. Like we already got into it, but I don't think they need to make a big curveball except for that. I, I regardless in the playoffs, just assume White was going to take on a bigger role because it's the playoffs and everybody goes a little bit smaller and you just, they're going to, they're going to need that offensive fluidity. And also credit to White, his interior defense is really damn good. Like he's a good rim protector. He's good at handling big switches, stuff like that. He's, he's kind of given them everything they could have wanted defensively. So I think they're just going to play that like White's probably going to be playing. I, maybe he would have played 30 minutes before. I think he's probably going to play like 33 to 34 minutes a game now. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a type of situation where like all 30 of Robert Williams minutes are going to go to Daniel Tice. I think Daniel Tice probably plays 15 to 20 minutes in the playoffs, like 20 minutes being a, a larger, like on the, on the high end, I think you're going to see definitely Derek White's minutes go up and definitely seeing them play smaller. But I also, Grant Williams is only averaging 24 minutes a game right now. I would expect his minutes to go up as well. Um, so they're definitely going to play smaller. I don't think they're going to rely entirely on just Daniel Tice trying to replace what Robert Williams does. I think it's one of the benefits of this team is that they have this uh, kind of ability to be flexible and versatile. And now they're just going to have to try and win um, playing with one more, uh, I guess, with one traditional center and guys around them. Sure, you're going to have moments of Grant Williams and Robert uh, and Al Horford out there. Um, I think Tice is really just going to be in the games when Al Horford needs a rest. I think that's going to be one of the big storylines. And one of the things to focus on is Al Horford has been fantastic this year and much better than I thought he could be at this age, at age 35. Can he play 35 minutes a night in the playoffs and still kind of hold up and give you the kind of the great defense he has been able to provide this year? I would like to think he can. I'm always a big believer in Papa Score Chief, but um, <laughs> it's uh, we shall figure out uh, how how his body is able to hold up because there's been some times where he has not looked great, um, and then there's times where he's come back from kind of a couple of days off and looked like fully rejuvenated. I think a lot will fall on him, and if he can play 35 minutes a night, then it's like only you know, 12 minutes of Tice and maybe, maybe you have some grants in there for some backup fives, but then you're, then you're really only relying on your top six guys there. Uh, and so I think the big question is how much Horford can hold up. Yeah. I mean, I, every year Horford steps up to another level in the playoffs. I mean, we saw it a ton when he was in Boston. Uh, so I assume we're going to get that to some degree, like more physical intensity, more energy, uh, more emotion, and so, yeah, I assume he's going to be able to play a little bit more than he has been so far because he's playing, what, like 28 minutes a game or something like that. So I, I projected him to be like 32 a game. I think it's probably going to be now like 34, 35. And they're not good enough to worry about uh, keeping him fresh over a long playoff run. Like they're not good enough without Rob Williams to worry about that. They're really worrying about at least getting out of the first round, but hopefully getting out of the second round. So Al can handle the big minutes. I mean, he's been out with a personal issue for a few days now. I don't know what's going on there. Hopefully that's, uh, I mean, obviously it's something serious. So hopefully it at least has a positive resolution. And, uh, you know, that's definitely obviously going to be a factor in, you know, how the postseason goes for him. But I think physically he's probably going to be fine to handle whatever role they're going to throw him into. Yeah, I agree. Let's go now to Greg S., Greg, thank you for joining us Greg here does. on Anything is Potable. Is it Steamsma? Is this Greg Steamsma? <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry, not not him. That's my fault for building up no, everyone's we, expectations. We sorry, Greg. That's my fault. That's on me. So uh, I don't really have a basketball question. I have a mystical question. Mystical the rapper? Like, no. No, like, <laughs> like leprechauns, as in... Missing leprechauns. What the hell has happened to the leprechauns since 2008? I mean, the injuries to Big Ticket, Kendrick Perkins, on and on over the past decade. Where the hell have all the leprechauns gone? Are we talking about wow. like, Lucky, the leprechaun mascot? Because he's still throwing it down. Like, he got hurt a couple of years ago. I think he like, tore his knee, but he's, he's throwing that shit down. So the leprechaun's alive and well. 
Yeah, but they're not sprinkling their uh, magic fairy dust on the team. I mean, it's pretty. Incredible. It is kind of. It's kind of wild that like the KG injury in 09, Perkins in 10. Uh, then you have a run of Isaiah Thomas getting hurt in the playoffs, Kyrie Irving getting hurt right before the playoffs, Gordon Hayward getting hurt right before the playoffs, Jalen Brown getting hurt right before the playoffs, and now Robert Williams. I don't know what the curse is. I know I've seen some folks out there, and uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to call you Greg Steamsma. Thank you for the question. I was a little disappointed as well that it wasn't about rapper Mr. Cal. Um, but we can um, move on from there. But it is the Celtics' luck uh, in terms of injuries heading into the playoffs has not been fantastic. And we haven't talked about this as much yet, but I remember in 2020 in the bubble season, there was a lot of hope that the return of Gordon Hayward would give the Celtics that boost that they needed. Like he was going to be the solution. He was going to have them figure out how to play against the zone and um, he was basically just a shell of the kind of former Gordon Hayward. At this point, we don't know what kind of uh, surgery Rob Williams is going to get. But if I was um, the surgeon, which um, thank God I'm not, but there's a lot of. I think you just. I mean, I could take a uh, surgeon law, uh, which would give me no. That's not even a thing. But <laughs> like, I don't. Like I've seen some people what, like waiting around, like oh, we just like four to six weeks is the most optimistic um, timetable, and then maybe he's going to come back. But there's no guarantee he comes back um, from that and is actually like the same all defensive team type Robert Williams, the same explosive person. I think he's 24 years old, and you just gotta kind of err on the side of long term health for him, and so. As much as I want the Celtics to make a run this year, it's just like if coming back is at all risking his long-term health or the long-term health of the his meniscus, I just don't think it's worth it to this point because like there's no guarantee that he's going to come back and actually like give you the same thing he's been giving you this season. It's just like we we've, we've seen players kind of come back early from injury and it's just they're never really especially if they're rushing back, they're never really the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing how much better Tatum and Rob and Jalen's improved and smarts even been improving the second half of the year. Like these guys have made so much progress. They're going to, uh, at least the younger, younger guys going to keep getting better. There's no way that you, that you rush them back. Um, Cause if you run, you rush, rushing your most athletic player back from a knee injury, you're probably not going to be getting the athleticism that makes them so good. So it's like, you're probably going to be pretty compromised. Um, I, 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 this is like complete BS, uh, but the way if he did get hurt on that slip that I tweeted out a, a clip of, I put in my story the other night. Um, if that little slip he had where he was like in a defensive stance, and then you kind of see his foot slip a little bit. And then he's kind of like limping back and came out of the game right after that. And that's really when he tore it. It seemed minor enough that you would you would imagine it's probably not a se- severe enough tear that he has to have a full repair. Um, but I have absolutely no idea. So, you know, there's that's a nugget of optimism for you that's completely medically unfounded. Seems like you've been studying surgeon law. I mean, the first law is to cut off the, the correct leg, right? So as long hopefully they put the X <laughs> on the correct knee and they don't repair the wrong meniscus. Oh my god, can you imagine if a surgeon did that like they would be get death threats in Boston if they somehow messed that <laughs> well, up. Well that was like I, I forget somebody asked if like uh Rob's history of knee tendinopathy was an issue and he made it's like, well actually it was the other knee. It's like imagine the surgeon afterwards like, well we just finally cut your we cut out your right <laughs> knee's um, lateral uh, meniscus, so you're you're fine. You could just go dunk right away. He's like, uh I got a problem, guys. <laughs> Good news, Rob. We cut into your knee, and it looks fine. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do anything. We're talking about. <laughs> All right, let's go to Blaine B. Blaine B. On anything is possible. Blaine, how are you doing? Um, how are you? Blaine O. Yeah, can oh, you hear me? We're doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, so yes, sir. we've talked a lot about the defense taking a hit. Um, I'm kind of. Also worried about the offense taking a little bit of a dip with Rob out because um, we still have odds on favorite Marcus Smart on defense and Al kind of controlling the paint still. 
And so I was just kind of wondering what you guys think will happen with the offense now without Rob. Jim, you want to take this one? Because I kind of already hit on it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to take a bit of a hit just because he has so much gravity around the rim and there's like a lot of tip-ins, a lot of easy lobs and just easy baskets that are not going to be there. And I think that makes it a little bit harder for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to kind of operate. But I don't know if it's like a huge, huge impact. Like if J- like it's really hard to quantify how much Rob Williams' existence uh, contributes to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown scoring 30 points a game as they have very frequently uh, over the past couple of weeks. Um, I do think it's going to take um, – Somewhat of a hit, but I also don't know if, like, the lineup that had the, the craziest net rating with Horford and Robert Williams was necessarily, like, their best offensive lineup. So it might give them an opportunity to kind of play more shooting, play play with more space. Um, and so I do think they're going to miss his energy on offense and his offensive rebound, rebounding, his tip-outs, his just immediate quick passing. Um, but, like, I don't know if that completely, like, ruins – like the capabilities or what, what Jason Tatum can do. And it's really, I feel like that's what it's going to come down to in the playoffs is like whether or not Jason Tatum can, you know, be the main focal point of, of other teams' defenses. They're going to show him a lot of attention. I think he's going to continue to make the right decision. Um, he's going to need to do that and then still probably score upwards of 30 points. A game. Yeah. I think maybe the biggest change you're going to see is just more pick and pop in the middle of the floor. They don't do a lot of that high pick and pop stuff that they used to do a ton of with Horford when he was here the first time. So because you don't have Rob giving you all that downhill gravity to force the defense to collapse, you want Tatum or Brown to be drawing two guys and then kicking it back to an open shooter. So Horford, Tice can do that. I mean, Tice isn't that good of a shooter, but he can shoot it. And um, Grant doesn't really – they haven't used Grant in that very often. It's pretty rare that they use him like that. But, I mean, Grant shoots really well, so you could definitely see it happening. So – you're probably going to get more at that, but the things that Rob does well, like we went over the whole tipping thing and how you can drop it off to him and he can quickly get the ball up there at the rim. And he's really good passing in the short roll. So when teams send two at the ball, you can, you can lob it over the top or slip it to him. He'll pick it up at the free throw line and he's good at flipping the ball to the other side of the floor. But Horford's great at that. Tice is pretty good at that. I'm sure Grant can do that some, even though he doesn't get a chance to do it much. So I don't think that's going to change so much. It's really just, you don't have Rob crashing through the lane, drawing in those weak side defenders anymore, which really helps open up those kickout passes that Tatum's got really good at. Do you think it has an impact on the team's ability to get to the line? Just because I feel like with the looming lob threat that is Rob, like the the guy, the main rib protector. Oh my God, sorry, I got distracted by that no talent Franklin. On my screen, God, I hate to say. <laughs> I'm watching that too. That's it. I love the, the gold box. <laughs> this guy though. doesn't do anything. He's he's just got some golden boxing gloves on. He's acting like he's the cock of the walk here. I mean, the guy, he, his biggest trick is climbing on the top of a ladder. It's absolutely obscene. Um, but back to my point. Uh, sorry, sorry for <laughs> that digression, folks. Do you think it affects like kind of the, the free throw rate? Yes. That feels like something the Celtics have gotten a little bit better at and Tatum has. And without having that lob threat, it just feels like the bigs can step up more and maybe it just affects the team getting to the line uh, as easily as they have uh, recently. Absolutely. You nailed it. It's one of the big things Rob does with the roll gravity is forces your big to drop back. And then Tatum can dance. He can do like his step through and Euro step moves. He can just like, basically he can attack a backpedaling defender who is going to be less accurate with trying to smack the ball out of his hands or more likely to hit his wrist. Uh, They can't go up at the verticality contest as easily so that they, so like if they make contact with him in the air, it's going to be a foul. It just, it gives Tatum way more control of the situation when he's attacking somebody to move backwards. So yeah, that's something that they really miss. And, I mean, maybe Horford's going to be really good as a downhill roller. You know, he's he's been okay at it. He can kind of catch lobs. Uh, so, you know, they don't have to completely abandon it. It's just like Williams is just way more scary with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm, it, I like your point that it might open up just kind of that more um, 
it's not going to be five out. Well, maybe they'll show you a little bit more five out, but just like Horford as this uh, setting the screen at the top and seeing more of that pick and pop, his three point shooting becomes that much more important if they are going if teams are going to show two to Tatum coming off that screen. And we've seen him be very good in that role with Isaiah Thomas uh, back in his first stint with the Celtics, and he has been shooting the three much better um, as of late. A lot more corner threes with Al Horford, but I don't know if we're necessarily going to see him in that position. I'd agree with you that like we're more likely to see him kind of playing through him at the top of the key in that pick-and-pop scenario, which hasn't really been a staple of the Celtics offense. It would be kind of cool, though, if they can do that because if they can get the pick-and-pop to work, then teams can't really send two at Tatum as much as they want, or they're going to have to rotate somebody from like the weak side over to cover that popper. And then either you have a guy like Horford, Tice or Grant who can catch the ball and then swing it quickly. And then you kind of have like where you're passing ahead of the defense's rotation, finding an open shooter. Although that's when you run into issues with like having Derek white being the one that's facing floor where it's like, you don't want him to end up being a shooter. Um, and actually that makes me think maybe that's why you want to have Horford at the, fi- you want to have Grant out there with Horford more just so it's like when you swing it to the corner, then you have someone that you want taking that shot in the end. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how they adjust. And I think it made made the last the final eight games of the season a lot more fascinating just in terms of a, a strategic perspective, um, what they're going to do and how they kind of make that adjustment. All right, uh, Jared, I don't know if you're necessarily ready for the high energy of our next caller, but I'm just telling you, I'm warning you now. We're going to go to Joshua B. Joshua B., what do you have for Joshua me today? Joshua B. Jared Weiss, let me just say that I love your Twitter. I think your Twitter is just off the chain. The positive, <laughs> the glow, so much better than Jay King's. I had to listen to Mermans and like Who Discovered Lobster on the basketball buds. They made time for that and like the Razzies and like LeBron doing a terrible jam in Space Jam too. And they just didn't talk at all about Time Lord, which I thought was nuts. I got, I waited all day for that <laughs> podcast so that I could yell at Jay King and be like, give the kid a vote, at least on the rundown. But anyway, moving past that. Uh, to, to, hold on, hold on, hold on. To be fair to Jay King, they record basket buzz on Sundays, and we didn't find out about Time Lord until Monday. So I don't But know they should have anticipated that they, <laughs> That's true. I, I blame Zach Harper. You know what? Fair, Harper. It's definitely Harper's fault. Fair enough, Sam. I will simply say this. I will simply say this. The show begins every single week with hashtag give the kid a vote. We all know that Jay King's <laughs> that Jay King's thing is uh, is like I'm the kid, I'm Jay King, blah 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 blah. Right? All I want is for him to look at the rundown and say, "Hey, the Celtics just happened to have won 25 of their last 30 games. Maybe we could talk about that." Nah, nah, forget forget that. Instead, let's focus more on Utah. I, I can't even talk about that. All right, I want to get to this whole Rob Williams thing. Just very. <laughs> like, like, here's here's sort of my take, and I've, I've had about two days to really ruminate on sort of how I feel about Rob Williams, and I've decided that it's going to be very hard for the Celtics to replace ten points and nine rebounds and and two blocks over twenty nine minutes, and that you know if we can't do that, that maybe we don't deserve to win a championship. But on the off chance that we can cobble together some kind of performance that can at least hold the fort for somewhere between four and six weeks. I think, and this is going to be a really hot take. This is straight fire, but I've been working on this. I'll expect nothing less, Joshua B. You got the hottest. You ready? Here's here's my take. You're not going to hear this from anyone or anywhere else. (laughs) I think that Rob Williams should take whatever the minimum amount of time is and come back. Literally sacrificing wow. his future. Woo-hoo. Literally sacrificing his future. And before you say, well, think about his career, think about his health. I did. I thought about it so much that <laughs> I looked at his four-year extension for $54 million that he signed last offseason. And I said to myself, you know what? I hope he can make that stretch. 
You know, I hope he can make that stretch. <laughs> I hope he has a good that'll, that'll last a long time. And a friend of mine was like, well, Joshua, you know, what if it were you? And I said, you're right. Maybe I should. Maybe maybe me and him should switch places. I'll get rid of my meniscus and be a 6'9 person who has to live on $54 million for the rest of my life and try and make that stretch. And he can come and sit in my chair and make the $70,000 a year that, that I make. I think this is exactly the moment. This is the moment. This moment right here is what you play basketball for when your team is like possibly going to be the one seed, when you have a legitimate chance, not just because I'm saying so, but apparently because Las Vegas thinks so, of actually winning an NBA championship. This is the point, like this moment right here. But, but what if he just comes back and is not able to do, like you said, he was in significant pain on Sunday night. What if he's just not able so to do? So much pain that he played through it. Keep going. You know what? I, I, he did. He played for another 10 minutes. I was there. I watched that game. I saw he was in pain. I, I got it. He was in pain. And I'm not saying that he should play in pain. I'm saying he should get the minimum amount of treatment so that he can get out there right now and help this team, this team right now, compete at the very highest level that we possibly can, because I don't think that this opportunity to win a championship does come around every single year. I I really don't. I mean, I remember when the Lakers were supposed to be a juggernaut with Anthony Davis and LeBron James winning every single year. And it turned out that they won one, you know, last year, Milwaukee won their first one in forever. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been since between championships between Milwaukee, but it doesn't come around that often. We've had two different, at least three different champion, different champions over the last three years. And this is our opportunity as Celtics, as as Celtics fans. I get it. Everybody wants to worry about his long-term health. And I do too. I promise you that in the summer when there are no (laughs) games, I'm going to deeply worry about how well his recovery is going. But fuck man, this isn't the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't want to wait a a year and a half to see Jaron Jackson, I mean, Rob Williams, come back to the floor just so that he can, like, have an impact. I get it that there are surgeries that go a year and a half. I get it. I understand. This is the time to not hold for that surgery. And by the way, yes, I would feel differently had this happened at the beginning of the year. Yes, I would. When we were losing, I absolutely wouldn't have cared. I would have said, no, he should absolutely take a whole year and a half off. But this is that time. This is the time where you say, I get it. I tore my meniscus. Maybe I should get rid of it and then come back within four to six weeks. That's my take. Joshua, you always come with the heat. I uh, very much appreciate it. Uh, I don't know. If I believe your claim that you care about the long-term health of Robert Williams because of all the things he said at the start of your statement, um, but that is one man's opinion. I don't I, – like, it's already been established that he, like, is going to have surgery. I get it that you want him to come back as soon as possible. I just – with that being said, I don't know if him coming back – like, yes, he played in pain – uh, for the final, I guess, whatever, 10 minutes of that game against the uh, Timberwolves. You just don't know if that's like, you're just assuming that he's going to be the same level of effectiveness with a partially torn meniscus moving forward. I just don't know. Uh, I think that's a, a bridge too far. I don't know if that assumption, I know how badly you want to win the championship. I would like the Celtics to win the NBA championship as well. I just don't think you can assume that Robert Williams is going to play the same level of all NBA defense and give you basically 10 and 10 every night when he's in tremendous pain. I just don't know if that's a fair assumption. Jared, what did you think about your first Joshua B experience? Well, I, I think the most important thing, the most important takeaway here is that was an elite caller performance. I mean, time Lord ask level. Performance. Oh, he's, he's incredible. Like- projection four weeks in a row he always brings the heat i i want i like i want to take classes from him on how to be a caller it was phenomenal i actually like how his audio quality was better than yours too which is really great (laughs) how do you you have such clear audio quality um but he uh i mean i couldn't tell if that was you on a different call doing like an old-timey like journalism or something like that or that's that's legit either way it was incredible um 
Yeah, I, sure. I think Rob is probably pushing for that to a certain degree. I'm sure he's saying I would prefer to do the the uh, the partial meniscectomy and come back in four weeks. But like, if they tell him you could do that, but you're probably going to re-tear it and then it's going to ruin your career. I don't think the Celtics window is is right now. And I like, he's right about the you know the likelihood of being a contender again is is hard, but not when you have two all stars in their mid twenties who are locked in long term, and then you have another. I mean, shit, Rob could be a fringe all star. That's certainly possible for him. I mean, I'd be amazed if he made it that far just because he doesn't do quite enough with the ball in his hands the way like Jared Allen does. But like he's he's really good. He's really good. He's only twenty five, I think. So. This team's future for the next three years looks really, really good. And if you can manage to get Rob back healthy for next season, you you should be pretty confident that you can continue to contend, especially because this team is missing a shooting piece. And they can keep their current rotation together and use the mid-level or make some sort of trade to bring in another shooter into their rotation. Or maybe Neesmith or Pritchard is ready to be a more important part of the rotation. They could really, you know, this might be the year where they like get close and they show the promise, but they just don't quite have the pieces around their core guys. And then next year is a year where like Tatum and Brown are like really solidified at that next level. Tatum is solidified at an MVP level and you have that other shooter out there to compliment Grant Williams. So you have optimal floor spacing like that. I would not look at this year as the one shot because they have shockingly pulled off this huge turnaround. Like they, they should be able to carry through what they're doing into the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I agree that you can't like bank on the window always being open, but like the fact that Jason Tatum's only 24 years old and up until like, I would say two or three years ago, we didn't expect NBA players to hit their prime. Like when they're, they're at their best until like, 27 28 like he is still you still have three to four more years of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum entering and being in their prime and so I think Robert Williams being healthy and being possibly the third best player and part of that big three is important and I think you just you err on the side of him being healthy so you get three or four cracks at at it I know I understand the argument that you don't know when you're going to do it but I just don't think him coming back early guarantees you kind of the cell you're going to get the Celtics at the past three months. Like it's just him tearing his meniscus. He's going to be hurt. There's going to be some drop off in performance. It's not necessarily going to be um, the same player. So yeah, uh, it, it, I think the important see. thing is Rob needs to assert himself as an individual and not cave into the pressure of the Joshua beats of the world. I think that that's the most important. <laughs> that is true. You're, you're your own man. You're a father. You are a time lord. You got to be a lord. Don't be a serf. Yeah, and you know what? He can do whatever the hell he wants with that fifty-two million dollars. What if he wants to spend it all? That's his prerogative. What if he wants to give it to Joshua B? What if he does want to switch positions and start work getting a seventy thousand dollars a year salary? It's whatever the time lord wants. The time lord should get. Yeah, I, I got nothing after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, we got to finish off here. Something, something amazing happened last night um, on Twitter. I don't know if you saw, um, Jared. You're on, you're on NBA Twitter. You are an active uh, tweeter out there. Actually, not really. And anymore. I in, yeah, I know it's uh, kind of NBA Twitter's been ruined by um, society. But well, that's a point for another time. But in your dealings. Have you noticed that the Toronto Raptors fan base is the most unhinged uh, of all the fan base? Uh, I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And I saw, I actually did see Keith Smith tweet something absurd. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I mean, what they, the hell was he thinking? They got, like, that was hilarious to see how much engagement that got. They got to Keith Smith last night. They like We used to call 76ers Twitter InfoWars, but Raptors Twitter... I saw multi-thread breakdowns of the foul calls that they apparently didn't get last night in a game they won, in a game that they barely won against a Celtics team without four starters. Raptors Twitter was uh, completely unhinged. And then they came after Keith Smith, who has to be one of the nicest guys on NBA (laughs) Twitter. Just one of the nicer individuals I've ever had the pleasure of interacting with. 
and they just kept coming for him, and they pissed Keith off, and Keith came after them and was coming after them hard. And I think if that's not evidence of being the most unhinged fan base on Twitter, I don't know what else is. If you go so far and start making Keith Smith clap back with his Twitter and with his quote tweets, uh, something has gone horribly wrong. Something is wrong in the water in the six, and it's uh, it's frightening. Yeah, I mean Keith calling people a bunch of idiots was pretty incredible. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I told Keith like I don't know why he quote tweets all the people replying to him and just bringing that up like just reply. You don't need to quote tweet it, but hey, he he got oh, he, he, no no no. I'm for Keith Smith clapbacks. Keith Smith the clapbacks clap more great. often. I'm I mean, I love it. Raptors fans. They're it's an incredible fan base and they're fun. They. Like I think what I love about them is they're not the kind of fan base where they're just like they're blindly rooting and then when the team's struggling they're like oh I hate this team oh uh, strong disagree go, tell me go I ahead I think they're completely unhinged they're still they're still tweeting about how much uh, Kyle Lowry and Jamar DeRozan deserve respect and they're not even on the team anymore exactly they're that's what I'm saying head. they're okay, unhinged said- but they're but like they're they're locked on the mission the mission is they're trying to bring the chip. They're not just like it's not like Lakers fans who are, who are so hot and cold, and, you know that kind of shit. They're not turning on their own players. Like they they love their team to the point that they will that they will exhaust all their energy complaining about foul calls in a game that they won. That's be fit. That's fair. Their dedication is uh, unrivaled. They stay on message. They stay on brand. They stay on point. But they. They pissed off Keith Smith, and that's just a bridge <laughs> too far for this. Uh, for it, it's absolutely unforgivable. And so, Jared, uh, I've got to ask you one final question: Are Keith Smith clapbacks are they potable? I mean, anything is potable. Anything is potable. <laughs>